Oh, it was a toss-up. Today's Memorial Day. It's Pentecost Sunday. I really prayed about which one to preach on. I knew we were going to take a break from the study on Mark, but I wasn't sure which direction God wanted us to go. You know, having memorials in our lives from what God has done always intends to spark our faith, help us to move on, to remember what God's done for us in the past, to believe him for great things in the future. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's, that's an important topic as well. So I actually had two sermons ready to go. I'm thinking, okay, Lord, which one, which one? And then Brother Phil came into my office on Thursday, and we were talking, and, and the conversation came around to how important the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. I said, okay, Lord, baptism of the Holy Spirit it is. So Acts chapter 2, verse 1, as Anna read it, I'm going to read from the NIV. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house while they, where they were seated. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, if you've been in Pentecost for a while, you know, that's, your, that's your verse. If you're not familiar with Pentecost, you want to know what's that mean? What is, what is Pentecost? Well, Pentecost was an, actually an Old Testament uh, festival that they celebrated. It was the second festival that God ordained right after the first one. The first one was Passover. The second one is Pentecost, was actually called something different. And it was to be 50 days after the Passover. 50 means, Penta means 50, that's where you get Pentecost from. The New Testament meaning of the phrase day of Pentecost literally means the 50th day after Passover. Leviticus 23.4 says, These are the Lord's appointed feast, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at their appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. So, you know, Passover, that's our Easter weekend. Then Leviticus goes on. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaves of wheat offering, count off seven full weeks, count off 50 days up to the day of the seventh Sabbath, and then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. It was a celebration of the harvest that the Israelites were supposed to give their first fruits back to God. The feast of the harvest was to thank God for the harvest of the grain. The day of Pentecost is to thank God for the spiritual harvest of souls. The Pentecost is what we require to do that. It also marks the dividing line between the Spirit's occasional presence and empowerment on certain individuals in the Old Testament and his continued and always available empowerment of believers today. Now, in the Old Testament, we all know there was no infilling of the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit would come on someone and give them power for a specific time, a specific task, a specific event. Today, we have the Spirit of God living in us constantly, enabling us to live the Christian life. Now, in the Old, in the Old Testament, it came on people occasionally and temporarily. In Judges 3, verse 8, it says, When they cried out to the Lord... He raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge. Again, temporary for one specific purpose. Judges 6.34, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Judges 11.29, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. 
Judges 14, verse 6, talking about Samson, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power. All temporary, all individual, one person, not a group. The day of Pentecost marks the beginning of each person being filled with the Holy Spirit, not just coming upon for a certain time or a certain event, a constant infilling of the Holy Spirit. Now, there is a difference between being filled with the Holy Spirit and being baptized in the Holy Spirit. How many know that? You know, all Pentecost, I hope you understand that. Everyone is filled with the Holy Spirit at the moment they believe in Jesus. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's Spirit lives in you? John 14.15 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, in other words, the Holy Spirit. John 16.7 says, I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Again, talking about the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.14 says, Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the Spirit of Sonship, capital S on Spirit, Holy Spirit. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. This is what happens the moment you come to Christ, you accept Christ, you ask for forgiveness of sins. The Bible says you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes in you, it acts as your conscience, it begins to change who you are. It's now given you the ability to do things that you normally wouldn't want to do. However, when you believe, you now have communication with God because up to that point, you did not. When they talks about being born again, up until the point where you are saved, you have no ability to communicate with God. I, I put down here in the vernacular, you are offline. You're offline. You, you have no ability to communicate with God. You ever pull up your computer and it says, sorry, we're unable to connect? That's how it is when, you're, when you don't have Christ in your life. You don't have the Holy Spirit living in you. You are physically and spiritually unable to connect with God. You may pray, you may talk, but the Bible says he doesn't listen, he doesn't hear. Until you come to know Christ, then that gateway of communication is open. You are now online. That happens when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 9 says, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, all of you know I sat in church for three years. Not a believer. Because what they were preaching was foolishness. And I would argue with my wife on the way home about how dumb it was. However, when I believed, switch was flipped. Now I'm online. Now I get it. But it wasn't the three years of sitting in church because the church didn't do it. The Holy Spirit had to fill me to come, so I came to an understanding. The Holy Spirit will direct things in your life if you let him. Once you become a Christian, now your thought life changes a little bit. Your desires change a little bit. Things you want to do, you don't want to do anymore. Things you didn't want to do before, now you want to do. 
That's the Holy Spirit controlling you, giving you thoughts, if you allow him to do that. That's part one. That's everyone's a Christian, you can feel the Holy Spirit. That's part one. Part two is Pentecost. That's what happens subsequent to your salvation. Now, it may happen at the same time, but more often than not, it happens at a different time, different location. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a second and distinct work apart from salvation. Everyone who believes in Christ is filled with the Holy Spirit, but not every believer is baptized in the Holy Spirit. Some don't want it. A lot don't believe in it. A lot think it, it ended back in the day. But I'm going to show you how the Bible says it's a separate and distinct act. Now, in the Gospels, after Jesus was resurrected, before he ascended in Acts, he walked around, he showed himself to his disciples, right? He said, you know, touch my hand, touch my side. But he also wanted to show those who doubted Thomas and those who failed Peter that everything that he said was true. And he also gave them last-minute instructions before he ascended. And one of those instructions, and probably the main one, was that they were to carry on his story. They were to carry on the gospel. They were to carry on preaching the gospel to the people once he was gone. So before he left, the Bible said he filled them with the Holy Spirit. This is what every believer receives when they become a Christian. John 20, verse 21 and Jesus said to the to disciples, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So this is still in John. This is before Acts. This is before the ascension. His followers now have the Holy Spirit, according to what that word just said. The Holy Spirit, baptism, comes at the point of ascension. Not at this particular point. So these guys, if they died right this moment, they'd be in heaven. Because the Bible says, receive the Holy Spirit. They got the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, as any Christian is. John 14, 16 through 16 says, the Holy Spirit can't come until I'm gone. So he said, he told me the baptism. He, these guys are filled with the Holy Spirit. The baptism hadn't happened yet. Acts hadn't happened yet. But yet they had the Holy Spirit. Now we come to Acts chapter 1, <clears throat> and it says, On one occasion, while he was eating with them, Jesus, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now remember, he just told them back in John, receive the Holy Spirit. So they, have, they were filled as a believer. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm not done. Stick around. Wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a different and subsequent event. It's going to be something new and different from what he breathed on them. They had the Holy Spirit. He said, don't do anything else until I'm gone, until you, until you get the Holy, baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, people ask, when does, this ha when does it happen? It happens when God does it, <laughs> when God decides to do it. Some people get baptized the minute they get saved. Some people have to wait years for it. It's, it happens, the feeling happens the moment you believe. The baptism happens first when you want it and when God decides to, to fill you with it. 
Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, he's preaching the gospel. It says, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished at the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Why? How'd they know that? For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. That's how they recognized that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That was when it happens instantaneously. You get saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, and baptized in the Holy Spirit at the same time. And the only reason they knew it, the only reason Peter knew it is because he heard them speaking in tongues. That was their, that was their confirmation. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They're already believers. If they're believers, they have the Holy Spirit. Fill the Holy Spirit. If they would have died before Paul got there, they'd have been in heaven. They were Christians. And he said, have you received the Holy Spirit once you believed? They answered, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So they were saved. They had never been taught about the Holy Spirit. Since they were saved, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, as any believer is. But now they're saying, we, what are you talking about? What Holy Spirit? And Paul says, so Paul asks, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. In other words, they were dunked. They, they confessed their sins. They were baptized in water for the repentance of sins. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul placed his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Some people believe that they had only been water baptized and not initially filled with the Holy Spirit. The problem is they were already saved. Paul says, did you get the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they were already believers. They believed in Jesus. They believed in repentance of sin. They just didn't know about the Holy Spirit. So if, if they'd only been water baptized, then they weren't really saved because water baptism doesn't save you. And Romans says, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So if these people were believers, whether they knew the Holy Spirit or not, they were Christians because they had the Holy Spirit. If they would have died, they would have went to heaven. And Paul's asking them, okay, now that you're a Christian, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, something subsequent? All they knew about was water baptism. Like, okay, we don't know about spirit baptism. What is that? So what happens next? Verse 6 says, Paul placed his hands on them, already believers. The Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. This is something that happened subsequent to them being saved. They came to know Christ, and at some point later in their life, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you are seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit, don't be discouraged. God's still working. We are not the ones responsible for when that's going to happen. Acts 1.4 says, don't leave Jerusalem. Wait for the gift my father promised. God wants you to develop patience. <laughs> you ever pray for patience? Don't, man, it's dangerous to pray for patience. 
Because it doesn't just happen to you. It just, you don't wake up one day with patience implanted in your brain. You have to go through something to develop patience. God's going to put you in a situation that you have to have patience. You get behind someone in a grocery store that's paying with pennies and they have a thousand coupons. You're developing patience. You get some, stuck behind someone doing 40 miles an hour on the turnpike. You're developing patience. You don't want to go crazy. God is making you develop patience. And those are fun ways. There are other ways that, that aren't so fun that God makes you develop patience. And part of the Holy Spirit is God wants you to develop patience and wait on God to do it. Because God's the one who does it. Paul says in talking about the gifts of the Spirit, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, all these are work of the one and the same Spirit, and he, God, gives them to each one just as he determines. Now he's talking about the spiritual gifts, but it's also the same for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God does it when God does it. Some people get it right away. Some people have to wait. If you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, make sure you use it. Now, which brings us to the second point. What's it for? I keep seeing an ad on Facebook about these guys that do a podcast. What's it for? I don't know what it's about. I guess they're going to analyze things. What's it, what's it made for? Baptism of the Holy Spirit is great. But what is it for? What do we need it? Luke 24, verse 47 says, And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power on high. They were already believers, but God says you're not fully equipped yet. They needed God's power to preach repentance and forgiveness. Going back to Acts 1.8, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Ultimately, bottom line, the baptism is for the power to be an effective witness, to give you boldness, to give you things to say, so you're able to step out, to be a witness in the world that you live in. And it may be verbal, and it may be just your life, that God calls you to be at a point where you're able to lead people to Jesus, that you're bold enough to talk about Christ, that when people come up to you, you don't shy away, you're able to talk about it. God gives you that power. Peter, in the Gospels, was cornered in the garden during Jesus' crucifixion, questioned by a couple of girls, and he called down curses on himself, and just, he denied Jesus three times. We know the story. Ran away. The same Peter, in Acts chapter 2, gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, stands up. And verse 14 says, And Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain to you this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And he goes on to preach a powerful sermon under the power of the Holy Spirit. The same guy that just about a month ago denied Jesus three times. Ran away. 
fell asleep in the garden. He stands up and preaches the first sermon recorded except for Jesus' sermons. This is the first sermon recorded. And he goes on to quote an entire chapter from the Old Testament, the book of Joel. Then he quotes some of Psalm 16 to them. He preaches to the gospel. He preaches the gospel to them, very plain, succinct, and basically tells them all the things they've done wrong and how bad they are and how much they need to be saved. He gets done with this sermon in Acts 2.37 says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? When you preach a gospel, that's what people's response should be. What do we need to do? We need to have a response to the gospel. We talked about in our class today, we have free will. You have the ability to believe that, or you have the ability to reject it. When these guys heard this message, they said to themselves, we have to make a decision on what we've heard. It's either true or not true. What do, what do we need to do? And they basically said to Peter, Peter, what do we need to do? And Peter says in verse 38, Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This once obnoxious but timid guy who ran away was able to stand up boldly and preach to 3,000 of his contemporaries and tell them that their lives were a mess and needed to get saved because he was baptized in the Holy Spirit. The main purpose is to be able to lead people to Jesus. God gives you the ability to do that. Now, the sign that tells you and other people that you've received the, bat the baptism is the ability to speak in tongues. Tongues is not the goal of the baptism. How many know that? It's not the goal. It's a bonus, but it's not the goal. You don't get baptized because you want tongues. You get baptized because you want the power to preach the gospel. The commentary section of the Fire Bible says this. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not just a matter of speaking in tongues or having a deeper spiritual experience. Christ's followers are to use the Spirit's power to share Jesus with those who don't know him. Years ago, the Assemblies of God, if you've been in the Assemblies of God for a while, you know we have 16 core doctrines, 16 tenets of faith, they say. One of them is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the second one is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. Years ago, it used to say that once you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you should continually be able to speak in tongues. That was one of the core doctrines. However, the Bible is not really clear on that. It does say that it happens. People speak in tongues all the time after being baptized. But it doesn't say that every person in every situation continues to do that. And so they modified their position. They said, okay, well now it's the initial physical evidence. When you receive it for the first time, you should speak in tongues at that point. Most people continue on with that, but there are some that don't. And since the Bible does not clarify in either Acts chapter in 10, Acts 19, Acts, even Acts 2, that they continued on in that, they can't say definitively that, we, that they do. So if the Bible is not clear on it and not definitive on it, we can't be definitive either. 
But we do believe that when you receive it, at the moment of reception, you get tongues and inter- tongues in other languages. Now, there's two types of tongues. There's languages, as a lot of the translations will have. Languages is a known language to somebody, but not to you. If you go to the mission field, a lot of times you'll have missionaries will speak in tongues or a language that's not theirs, but is the language of the people they're talking to. The God doesn't know the language, but God speaks through them in the language of the natives that are there. God uses that to speak to them. Maybe you're in, and I've, I've heard this before, you come into a service, an English service, and maybe there's someone here from a foreign country that they speak English, but they also speak in whatever the native language is. And someone gives a word and they, and they speak a tongues, and the tongues is the language of the person that walked in the door. Maybe it's a Russian language, or maybe it's Chinese, or whatever it is. It speaks in a language not known to the speaker, but known to someone in the audience. The second type of tongues is a language that is not known to anybody, called heavenly language. Glossolalia is the term we use. It's a language that is not known to anybody. It's, we call it a heavenly language. It's a language that's not yours, but you're talking to God in God's language, basically what that is. You ever come to a point in your prayer life where you're like, you, you, you wonder, what should I pray next? Or how am I, am I praying right? Well, when you pray in tongues, you're basically, the Holy Spirit is praying through you for things that God knows that you need. He's praying the right stuff. Like, what should I pray? What should I pray? And the Holy Spirit will start praying. And you know that when you start praying in tongues, it's because that's what God wants you to pray and ask for. And that may be a known language. Most often it's not when you're praying to yourself. Even the gift of speaking in tongues in public is designed with the unbeliever in mind to be a witness to the unbeliever. Now, I got to tell you, the first time I heard that in the church and I wasn't a Christian, I thought, well, it's a bunch of gibberish and someone needs to shut that guy up. Why is he just talking? And everybody got quiet when this guy's talking. Thinking, should I just stand up and start talking? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 22, tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. When unbelievers walk in, they should hear that. And what should happen after that, as the Bible says, there should be an interpretation to that. And when the interpretation comes, it should address to someone who walks in the door. It should be specific to someone who walks in or something that's corporate for the church that we need to hear. There are other results of being baptized, not only tongues. You will get prophetic messages. If you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, God will use you in some cases to give a prophetic message. Different from tongues and interpretation, prophetic is just English or whatever the name's language is, speaking something to the church that we need to hear. Or maybe speaking to someone in their life with something that they're dealing with. You're praying about, should I get this job? Should I get this job? Should I take this job? No one knows about it, but you and God, and you're praying about it. Someone you don't know or someone you know but doesn't know you're praying about it comes up and says, hey, God told me you should take that job. That's how God uses that to a person. The second thing it should bring is a greater sensitivity to the things that offend God and grieve the Holy Spirit. There's a saying that says we should hate the things God hates and love the things that God loves. 
Well, the more you become closer to God, the more those things are going to become evident to you. You'll be convicted on things you know you shouldn't do or watch or see, and you'll realize what God actually wants you to do. Now, we'll go through these quickly because I don't want to keep you late. I will tell you, you know, our Spanish brothers and sisters meet here Saturday nights, evenings. We came in yesterday, what, 11 o'clock? They were here. I went to bed at 11.30 last night. They were still here. 12 hours. And they, they may have eaten between there, but they were in church for 12 hours. So, you know what this means? Not a thing. Another thing the spirit baptism should do is a life that brings honor to Jesus Christ. Everything we, the main focus should be on Christ. Next is new visions and comprehensions of God's purpose. What's God calling you specifically to do? Next one, a demonstration of the various gifts of the spirit. And we talked about those, how God uses those in a corporate setting, in a private setting, how God uses the spirit through you to minister to somebody else. You should have a greater desire to pray. You should have a deeper love and understanding of God's word. You should have an increasing awareness of God as one's loving father. In general, the baptism of the Holy Spirit enhances our personal worship and empowers our public witness. God's word encourages us to seek the gift. Some of the conditions to receive the spirit of God is we must desire to be filled. John 7, 37, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Got to want it. Next one is God answers when we pray for it. Luke eleven eleven, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then know you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And lastly, we should expect that God will do it. Mark 11. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. I'm going to close this sermon real quickly. There's a meme I saw the other day. Maybe I've said it before. The question is, do you need the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? And I know what the question is. It's about the baptism. Do you need to have the baptism of the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? The answer is no. But the meme says, do you need the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? Question. Answer, you need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. Now, what they mean by that is you need the power and ability to live your Christian life in the world. And you need the Holy Spirit to be able to give you that ability to walk in the Spirit whenever you're out. So when someone does cut you off or start paying in pennies, your instant reaction isn't to fly off the handle. Your instant reaction is the Holy Spirit comes up and gives you a calmness about it. And you don't get agitated. And if you're walking into Walmart on a holiday weekend, you're going to need patience. Because they have nobody working. And you got to check yourself out. 
Another purpose of that is you need to be confident in knowing the truth. The Holy Spirit will build that confidence in you that what you believe is true. And once you understand it, you'll have the ability to withstand the daily onslaught of temptation. You walk in any, well, now it's summertime. You walk along any mall. It's easy to get distracted by the temptations that are in the mall. It's easy to not submit to the Spirit. But the more you have the Holy Spirit, the more you're able to resist your flesh. I wrote down here, you have the ability to resist the temptation to throttle the guy in front of you who cut you off. And when people see that in your life and they ask you about the faith, your faith, you have the confidence and the ability to show them and tell them what God did for you. And when you're talking to someone, if you know God's word, if you read God's word, you may not, if I were to ask you what, what verse it is, you may not know it. But if you're talking to someone in a conversation, God will bring that verse to your mind if you need it. And everything you read, the Bible says, does not return void. God uses it in the back of your mind. You're not going to remember it on a day-to-day basis, generally. But in a conversation, God will bring it up. God will bring that scripture up, and you'll be able to quote it perfectly, even though you never thought you could. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to stand real quick. Uh, I don't want, I know it's after 12. I know the lunch lines are going to get long. But this is really important. If you would close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment. If Jesus told his disciples, the 12 guys that spent three years with him, the 11 guys that spent three years with him, don't go anywhere until you're baptized. If it was important for them, it's important for us. Now, I know that many of you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that's awesome. And I want you to pray, and we'll pray for this in a moment, but I want you to pray that, that you're sensitive to what God wants to do through you with those gifts that God's given you. Because God doesn't just baptize you and then leave you go. He gives you abilities to be used not only for your good, but for the good of the people around you, your family, and, and our church family. All those things God blesses us with, the gifts of the Spirit, are meant to encourage the body of Christ. And if you have the Holy Spirit, as I mentioned before, use it. Well, maybe you're here this morning and you're just, you're not sure about the Holy Spirit. You're not sure about this baptism thing. I hope I've shown you in, in the Bible where it says that what we believe is right. It's evident, plain in Scripture. I guess the question you have to ask yourself is, do you want it? Do you feel like you need it? Well, the disciples, they needed it. And if they needed it, we need it. 
If you've been praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and have not received it yet, I would like for you to come up front. I'm going to agree with you. My wife and I are going to pray for you. And we're just going to pray and seek God for that this morning. Things of God are very important. And we want to be right in doing what we need to do. Father, we thank you for your presence this morning. We thank you for the promise of the Holy Spirit, which you pour out among your people. You give us all the desire to want the Spirit of God. And now you equip us to share that love that you have for us with other people. In these last days, Father, your word needs to get out to more and more people. And you need more workers to do that, Father. So we are here humbling ourselves before you, asking for the power that you require and that you freely give for us to be your witnesses, to take this gospel to every place that we can. So we're here asking for that power. We're here asking for that promise. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing. Thank you, Jesus. Use us, Lord. Prepare us. Use us for what you have coming. Hallelujah, Jesus. Equip us to be your servants. We're asking the Lord of the harvest to send forth us as laborers, Lord. Send us forth. Equip us. Equip us with your promise, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I thank you for those who are eagerly seeking your your promise. And I pray that you would continue to fill them, Lord. Continue to give us the hunger and thirst. Help us to develop the patience. We know you're not done, Lord. We know you're continuing to work. And we know it may come later today. It may come tomorrow. But we know your desire is to baptize us. And our desire is to receive it. So, Father, we know that if we ask anything according to your will, it will be done. So we commit it to your timing, Lord. And we know it's going to happen. We know it's going to happen. Hallelujah. Lord, I commit each seeker to you. For those who have received and those who are still waiting, I pray you would continue to bless them. Continue to let them see the power of God in operation in their life. And we will hear testimonies in the days and weeks to come of how you filled them by themselves in their own room praying. As you're driving in the car, worshiping you in music, fill them, Lord. Baptize them. Lord, the place and time is up to you. But we are trusting that you will fill and baptize each person according to your perfect time schedule. So we thank you for those who are eagerly seeking and we know that you'll answer. So I commit them to you. Father, you do all things well as your word says. And every promise is yea and amen. So we believe this is a true promise from God and we will receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you praise the Lord this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.